research about the satanic panic of the 80s, something that was glaringly obvious that I thought that we should talk about. It's something that I have known about for 20 or so years. I didn't have the updates on it, but it's something that has that I've known about that was really troubling to me that I thought that we just couldn't ignore because it combines occultism, mysticism, metal music, and satanic panic. And that is the West Memphis Three trial, the case, the whole controversy surrounding that. So Jess, before this research, had you known anything about the West Memphis Three? I was just going to say I did not. And I'm really surprised because it's so big, like the case itself Mm -hmm. and the people involved in it and what happened. But I moved away from true crime. That's I I, I definitely did for Mm -hmm. like I was really big into it and then I moved away from it. So Mm -hmm. I never really knew about it. And then when I started doing a little more research about satanic panic itself and its involvement in the heavy community is when it got mentioned quite a few times but I never went into mm-hmm. doing further research into it until Kelly until you mm-hmm. mentioned it and brought this up and then I was like of course when I did start doing some general research I was like yes this is actually very important to talk about and something that I've never really known about I think more people should know about because it is it is a messed up case it is the HBO did an incredible three-part documentary series which we'll talk about a little bit later but that my story around this is that I had the very first part of the documentary on VHS for a long time. I sadly don't have it anymore. I don't know why I got rid of it, but that's how I knew about it. Because like that 93, when all of this started going down, there was no internet. It was like watching TV and yeah, watching these 2020 news reports and talk shows and HBO or home box office that it was called at the time. Yeah, Uh, yeah. So I've known about it for a long time and, and not that I forgot about it, but once I started reading, I was like, oh yes, yes. Let's do our first true crime <laughs> mini-sode because it's completely related, completely fascinating, and infuriating. So the facts surrounding this case are well known. Facts are three eight-year-old boys, Stephen Branch, Michael Moore, and Christopher Byers, went missing in West Memphis, Arkansas on the evening of May 5th, 1993. A frantic search of the boys' neighborhoods in the nearby woods turned up nothing until the boys' dead bodies were found in a creek the following afternoon. Three days later, so they were missing. Three days later, those bodies are found. So about a month later, after searching and searching and they couldn't find any anything about anyone, 17-year-old Jesse Miss Kelly confessed to being part of a satanic ritual murder after a 12-hour interrogation. Mm. Why don't you tell us about that interrogation, Jess? Well, just like the fact that that interrogation alone was 12 hours, no lawyer nor parent in sight. It wasn't recorded up until the moment of the confession during that 12 hours. And because Jesse himself was having an IQ of 71 and was a mentally impaired young man who really didn't have right judgment thinking. So right away, when you hear that, you're like, oh, he was led to that confession. He was led to go to that place. And it was probably and because we don't know what was recorded or well what else mm-hmm. happened in that those 12 hours 
Could he have been hurt or injured in any way to force a confession out of him? We don't know. So there is so much information about this case out there, folks. We're just going to like skim the surface of it and mainly how it relates to the satanic panic and both the satanic panic surrounding this trial and why they persecuted who they did and why. So his alleged confession throughout it, you know, it has a different timeline. He said that the other two suspects, which were Damien Eccles and Jason Baldwin. Mm -hmm. So he said that they choked the little boys, that they raped them, they sexually mutilated them. And it's, these are a little bit graphic, but um, some of the skin was removed from one of the boys' genitals. Like it was that one boy in particular. But there are aspects of his confession that just didn't make any sense to the actual crime itself. Mm-hmm. And because of his quote unquote confession, he was tried separately than Eccles and Baldwin because he also didn't want to testify against them. So everything was separate. And Miss Kelly was only trialed based off of this confession. That was it. That was it. That that's all they had on him. Yeah, but the fact that they even sent in a trial based on any of what they had against Damien, mm-hmm. Jason, or Jesse is huge. Like, to me, obviously, and to many other people who, who watched this and, and saw the mm-hmm. documentary, a huge um, injustice and a mistrial from the get-go. The fact that at the crime scene itself... Someone, I'm pretty sure it was the probation officer, Steve Jones, who had said, oh, this looks like the work of Damien Eccles. And you're like, what? Like, Damien finally killed someone. <laughs> right? And you're like, based yeah. upon what, what? Is, what evidence do you have? You're doing this based upon your opinion of an ind- individual person because you're mm-hmm. Damien Eccles' probation officer. And... Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why we felt that this was important to talk about in terms of regards to satanic panic is because all three of these boys were outsiders in their community. Uh, Damien Eccles had long hair. They wore black. They all dressed in black. They listened to heavy metal. And Mm -hmm. because Damien had a little bit of an interest in Wicca, right away, rumors of Satanism was labeled onto these boys right from the get-go. We came from a very hardcore fundamentalist right-wing Bible Belt town where anyone who didn't fit in with you know the local ideology or political climate or anything else was or even appearance right exactly the way I dress the music I listened to the books I read you know as as evidence at the trial they actually introduced things like Stephen King novels they said that was proof that I was satanic there was no actual occult or satanic or anything in the crime scene or necessarily in the quote-unquote evidence. There was no physical evidence, but they had satanic connections is what I will say on that. The whole investigation and the trial, it was heavily, heavily based on the satanic panic of this small area in Arkansas. It was all about occultism, Satanism, and bad mumbo-jumbo that was happening, even though there wasn't really any actual evidence of that. But they laid into it. They laid into it. One of the things that astounded me when I heard this in in the documentaries is that on the night of the boys going missing, there was a report of a bloodied man in a bathroom at a nearby restaurant on the night of the murders and highly suspicious behavior and activities of different family members of these boys. But nothing happened with that, particularly that bloodied man. They didn't have any samples of the blood or they lost the blood samples. It's just like, it's just like so ridiculous. And that's what I mean. 
mean? Like this, this whole belief of Satanism running rampant in uh, yes. West Memphis was more yep. believed than over scientific evidence. And also, I remember reading one of the evidences was looked at, like the actual um, markings on the boys, on the little boys, like the scratch marks and stuff like that. They were saying, oh, well, those were used by a satanic ritual knife and stuff like that as yeah. part of their sacrifice. And then when an actual scientist looked at it, he says, no, those are actual animal bite and scratch marks. <laughs> that not, yeah, that came not, out like 10 years later. 10 years yeah. later, right? But it's like, that is yeah. not evidence of knife no. marks, right? And so you even would think like, how closely did they actually look at the wounds to the victims and to how they were placed or where they were placed or what was going on. And like you said, the families acted very suspiciously the entire time this was happening. And when you read more about the documentaries, you end up finding out that there's actually like interviews later on with people who are like, oh yeah, our mother was acting super weird that day you know, when she told the police this and when mm-hmm. it actually this happened, right? And mm-hmm. you end up finding out that one of the boys' father became outed as a sexual predator. And you're like, all these things were happening around the time of this trial. What's so sad is that because these boys came from, they were seen as weirdos, they were seen as freaks, they were seen as outsiders, mm-hmm. that not only were the authorities, the West Memphis police authorities were willing to believe that they were Satanists and they were practicing, mm-hmm. but the community and the mm-hmm. people in power, like the authorities were like, oh, well, they already had it in their mind that they committed mm-hmm. these murders, despite all the evidence pointing that they didn't, and it allowed for them to breathe a th- sigh of relief and saying, well, we already know the murders, we already know what happened, so we allow us to do our justice and to move on and then we can just move on with our lives and never worry about this instead of actually doing proper investigative work to find out who did this. And like you said, Jess, the Damien Eccles was kind of branded as like the leader of this little trio because he was even more othered, let's say, more outcasted. Uh, He did have a bit of a troubled life. Like that is a very small kind, kind of impoverished town. So he was a troubled young man. I think he was about 18 when this all happened. So you mentioned this uh, probation officer. So even a year prior to any of this, he had worked with Damien Eccles and they were convinced that like weird satanic cult was already at work. There was some graffiti that had in their minds like a cult imagery and that they were they heard rumors of, you know, rituals happening in the area. And because, you know, Damien Eccles looked how he did and he had a little bit of trouble with the law, minor offenses, they drummed him up as like our he was going to definitely be our scapegoat. And one of the biggest things, and I think one of the biggest aspects damaging them in this trial was a former police officer named Dale Griffiths, a quote-unquote self-proclaimed expert on the occult. He actually has a PhD from the internet, so he definitely is an expert on this. Mm. So uh, he was contacted a year before the 1993 murders to get his insight about this apparent satanic cult activity and what they can do about it. And of course, during the satanic panic in the media and on the radio at churches and like he would go around talking to people like about this stuff that's happening because Satan is out there and our youths are in trouble. And so Damien Eccles is already on everyone's radar. And so this self-proclaimed, this proposed expert, Griffiths, said that this whole thing had the trappings of occultism and that the evidence, I keep doing air quotes, you can't see this, but the evidence seized from the home of Damien Eccles actually featured occult and satanic drawings and writings. And what that ended up being, yes, some doodlings, 
Yep, some Wiccan symbols were in there. And so, of course, they were just, they laid heavily in on that. Police believe the murders may be part of a satanic cult ritual. But also, there was, nobody could actually point to an actual motive. And people love to know motive. Because if there's no motive, then these, it just, it's just evil. It's an evil act. Especially with the fact that there were two, they were, sorry, there were three children bound and found dumped in a river. So this trial was heavily influenced about say on satanic panic and satanism and occultism it's so fascinating and so upsetting reading about this because when i read about these two probation officers so the county juvenile officer jerry driver and probation officer steve jones people who are put in authority to help troubled youth get back Mm -hmm. onto the right track in life and to not fall into the system and to Mm -hmm. be able to become good members of society were so quick to believe in satanic panic, to believe in the idea of occultism, and to believe yeah. that this could, that these three boys could be capable of such a brutal act towards three boys. Yeah. And like reading about this, that they went to so far to the point that they were researching all these elements about Satanism in the area, that they would drive alone, like drive to isolated areas and watch for witches um, on witches' sabbats <laughs> and stuff like that to catch people and doing like satanic yeah. ritual practice, right? That they had, that yeah. they were so driven by this idea of Satanism Satanism being within the midst of West Memphis, that they went to this length of driving around looking for people doing satanic rituals. And like you said, to bring in this former police officer, Dale Griffiths, to (laughs) talk about Satanism and talk about occult activity a year before the murders. And then he was brought on um, as part of the trial as becoming the self-proclaimed expert in this trial Mm -hmm. and stating that people who wore black, who painted their Mm -hmm. nails black, who had black hair, who tattooed themselves, this all made them similar of evil and made them members of the occult, which is, mm-hmm. hmm, interesting enough, all traits of people who are part of the metal culture, right? Mm-hmm. And I also found what was really interesting is that years later, you have actual scholars and academics in the esoteric uh, religious mm-hmm. and Satanist community looking at the evidence that was provided from the self-proclaimed expert mm-hmm. and was like, what is this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this this is what he's providing as evidence of satanic activity and satanic ritual practices with these uh, associated with these boys is not an actuality. This is not true, and mm-hmm. it just blows my mind how quickly a community was so willing to believe mm-hmm. that the devil was in their mm-hmm. midst and that the devils were was in these boys to literally coerce them into saying that they were satanic uh, rituals and practices to throw them into jail and then to not even question anything else was going on, and which which surprised me because. I'm just like, well, wait a second. You know, three young boys are murdered. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. would automatically look at the families right away and wonder what's going on. And when we hear that these family members have had such suspicious activity mm-hmm. the whole time, you're like, how is this make yep. any sense? It doesn't. It, it doesn't. They did not do their jobs properly. Um. <laughs> such a such trials like such misjustice right from the get go. Yeah. And again, Damien Eccles is such an interesting character and person throughout all of this as the years go on and even now. And this is like Arkansas, small town, small mind, God fearing white people. And so, again, I can't stress enough how amazing these HBO documentaries are. Just how, like you said, how easy and quick these people were to find these young boys guilty of this truly horrific thing. Like nobody is saying that this is not a really terrible thing that happened. What's terrible is that 
maybe in the end they don't actually they never actually caught the real people or person that did this but they scapegoated but they also targeted Damien Eccles as this threatening I'm gonna say anti-Christian figure and then you add on all the creepy satanic images and the symbolism the heavy metal music his long black hair he's anti-god he's anti-religion anti-religion so he was a super easy target and again often like they don't even talk about Jason Baldwin even that much he was almost like along for the ride they totally villainized Damien Eccles and people were so emotional about this for good reason this was a crazy thing to happen in this small town and it's horrific to see that and even think that that would even happen for me like they didn't even have any like character witnesses mm-hmm Damien's maybe slightly troubled, but like nothing really stood out that these boys were bad boys, that they were a danger to themselves, danger to their community. And they never even have been, not even up until now, have they been this type of people to perpetrate one of like such a terrible crime as this. In my mind, I would more go to these, I don't want to say crazy, but these wacky, fanatical, religious parents. Yes. That acted strange. And I would be more inclined in a small town to go over adults, to go towards adults for doing something like this. Not these young teens that haven't done anything wrong ever and they still haven't, but like that had nothing. There was minimal to no evidence at all to to point towards these people, these young kids. So we're all three poor kids. Poor kids in a very poor county in a pretty poor state. There was a great pressure on the police to do something here, of course. And they weren't getting anywhere for whatever reasons. So it was kind of handy to have these kids who were easy pickings. Well, like you keep wanting to look at and like, okay, well, why not look at these probation officers and this juvenile officers? Like they're yelling Mm -hmm. satanic panic a lot. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Are you yelling about your own guilt then? Because Mm -hmm. maybe you have something to hide. Maybe you were doing, you know what I mean? Like you, we know about some, a lot of sick, perverse men and women out there and have, would have no, for sure. Yeah. Would have no problem doing the things that they do because of their own mental health and their own sort of deviancy. But, you know, what we see in the trial of the West Memphis Three is that this is a symptom of people looking for evil because someone said that there's something evil about this. And what mm-hmm. happens when we look for something evil? We look towards our outsiders. We look to the people mm-hmm. who are part of our part of a counterculture and mm-hmm. we see them as a threat. So once again, when you're combining symbols of metal with social deviance and evil, this allows mm-hmm. the media to construct a pattern of fear that combined with a social problem to create sensationalism. And the media... Yep. In this in this case really played up on this fear and this rhetoric that if you're mm-hmm. they're metal fans they enjoy metal music so they must be satanists mm-hmm. and so satanists must have killed yep. these young boys and so we must now put these young boys in jail because they are a threat to us yes if you're looking for evil you're gonna find it and they did in theory in their minds they found the evildoers and they were so more than happy to one so Damien Nichols was sentenced to uh, death and the other two uh, Jason Baldwin and Jesse Miss Kelly were sentenced to like many life imprisonments. So many life sentences. So essentially to die in jail. But Damien Eccles was actually sentenced to death because of this rhetoric of fear and looking for somebody to be guilty of this because there wasn't a lot of evidence. Also, again, 1993, we don't have the, the capabilities and the technology that we have in 2020 because even later on. So I'll go back to, so this trial was happening, but it caught the interest of HB 
HBO. And that's why they documented pretty much the entire trial, the whole case as time went on, there's three three portions of it, like the trial and then while they're still in prison and then the end results, which we'll get to later. But it brought a lot of attention because there was a lot of rumors and speculation that things were not handled well. And especially when this documentary came out, it brought the attention to a lot of people. Again, I had a VHS, so you could like watch it on HBO and people are like, what? is happening here because they saw I guess might be misjustice or the misusage of evidence and and flimsy evidence and just none of it really added up it didn't make sense and if you're supposed to be putting something on trial give us some evidence give us something to work with it was all hearsay in fear because after a month you haven't found anything you gotta look for somewhere the the pressure of the community on the cops like I get it but that doesn't mean you fudge an investigation, just a, that's it, case closed, wipe my hands of this, we got the bad guys. No, it's not what you do. Well, like you said, though, the documentaries really show what blind rage and prejudice can do, and how it can allow a true murderer to get away with a horrific crime, as a community is focused on cleansing themselves of the other, that they will abandon all reason in pursuit of blood. And this was really upsetting, because there was also a point where there was a preacher who was brought in as part of the trials, and he talked about, you know, Christian symbols being used in conjunction with satanic imagery, metal mm-hmm. music which is making mm-hmm. up like this whole like antichrist anti- ideology and so in his mm-hmm. statement he indicates that because Eccles was a metal fan and liked Wicca and stuff like that he had made himself mm-hmm. an outside member of the Christian community and thus his mm-hmm. human value was then limited so his yeah. life didn't mean anything because yeah. he participated in already counterculture and antichrist ideology in a Christian community he has no actual human worth or value you're less than god forbid <laughs> instead of looking at these parents who are, you know, we're definitely not an ideal of Christian perfection because many of them end nope. up finding out later, you know, uh, linked to a lot of drug offenses and sex mm-hmm. offenses and stuff like that, you know. And another thing, too, like you said, there's no character references or witnesses. Like, you know, what about these these three boys' parents, their own families? Mm-hmm. They just turned mm-hmm. their back on them because they're like, oh, well, yep. like, you know, you look at all these pictures of these boys and they look like deer caught in the headlights and they just have no idea what's going on. Oh. Like They're just literally oh. like, what is happening? My life is being turned upside down right now. Yeah. Because I have a Metallica shirt and I listen to Metallica. My life is being literally turned upside down because I'm being called a Satanist and I murdered an eight-year-old boy. So his documentaries were hugely influential and show the, you know, it shows the power of what media can do Mm -hmm. because it got, it broadened the scope of this trial. And after appeal and appeal, they were denied, 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 declined, declined. And years later, when there was you know, DNA testing was a real thing that was happening like in the later on in the 2000s when we that was a thing. They have and still have huge community of people and supporters that were like, no, you need to reopen this case. You have to reopen this. You have to look at this. So they brought in all these new experts like you were talking about the one that's like, no, these are animal bites because you dropped the these bodies were dropped off in a creek bed area. So we mm-hmm. had turtles and different creatures are going to claw at these bodies. That makes sense. It was a very rural place with a lot of trees and forestry and wildlife. So yes, I don't know if you came across in this research, but there were bite marks that later on were discovered. They weren't knife marks by a knife. It was bite marks. They're like, this is very much a bite mark. So how about we look at everybody's mouths to see who it's going to be? And guess what? It was none of those three boys. It was also, they did 
DNA testing on what they still had left, and there were no traces of DNA from the West Memphis Three. But I think it was like a 1.7% of the population had DNA that matched it, and one of that was the stepfather, Terry Hobbs, which is the stepfather of Stephen Branch who they did not interview and at the time of the original investigation in 1993. They kind of did have some interviews, but nothing really came out of that. So zero DNA evidence, but some DNA evidence to link it towards somebody they didn't even interview many years ago. An incomplete investigation that left too many hard questions unanswered. A convenient confession that didn't match the facts of a horrible crime. That information that he might a flawed prosecution based on rumor and innuendo rather than solid evidence and hard, cold facts. And feeding the flames all along. Last month's murders of three young boys were part of a cult ritual. An ongoing media frenzy about Satanism and cults. Nothing adds up. No. It doesn't make any sense. Our system is supposed to have integrity and we're supposed to put away the bad guys, but it doesn't always work. Such an enraging failure of our justice system. Yeah, and that documentary, the Paradise Lost documentaries, um, they're really important because they were evidence of showing how cinema can lead to social change. Because if it hadn't been for these documentaries, the West Memphis Three would have been, um, Damien would have been executed and the other two would have yep. been living their life in jail right now. And it also highlighted as Kelly has pointed it out um, quite extensively, the institutional problems of our legal system and how examples of these privileges and power can abuse a system to protect themselves. So you're you, you might yeah. you start to wonder like what who or what was trying to really point the blame in the direction of these three boys to protect themselves and how much money was being thrown at different people to say like let's just keep this train rolling let's just keep this like ridiculous theory going and have a complete misuse of justice to blame these yeah. boys to protect someone's identity totally so after 18 years and 78 days in a slightly infuriating frustrating turn of events the boys agreed with their new lawyers to take what is called the Alford plea, which means you state you're guilty, but also maintain your innocence to get, quote, time served and freedom. Which... To me, reading that, I'm like, that is still a slap in the face. They're innocent. There is no evidence pointing to them at all in this crime whatsoever. But it's a fact to say, like, oh, because the governor had so much pressure on them, because the system has so much pressure on them, all these people on this huge outcry about this mm-hmm. misplaced justice, that they're just mm-hmm. like, fine, we will release them. But they are legally still liable for these crimes. And I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. There is no evidence showing that they, so they should <sighs> be cleared, wiped clear. The record completely wiped clear and seen as innocent victims of the justice system and that the Mm -hmm. trial should be reopened and go after the person who really did do it whether this person's dead or not to find Mm -hmm. out the real truth of what happened on May 5th 1993 to clear these boys like these boys will never Mm -hmm. get their lives back and it's so sad that Mm -hmm. it was taken away because someone was trying to protect something was when I was watching the documentaries I was like okay I'm gonna get updated on everything that happened and it was yeah it was really I'm happy that after almost 20 years that they're free, quote unquote, 
But yeah, they always will have that overlooming thing that they killed horrifically in horrific ways three young boys. Like they will always be, quote, guilty in the eyes of the law, in the eyes of still a lot of people. Yeah. So like, yes, we're we're innocent, but we have to say we're guilty. And not all of them were happy with that. And again, I can't stress the importance of watching those documentaries to actually see everybody's reactions. And, and they were just very defeated. The boys were very defeated, but at least they got out. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that's 20 years almost of their lives. They could never get back. And this also doesn't mean that the trial is going, there's going to be a new trial or a new investigation. It doesn't mean that. It just means that maybe there's some closure and there's probably will, nothing will come out of this. Like the boys will, and now men will carry on with their lives, but those boys are still dead and there's no true justice made for those boys. And... For, yeah, for all all six of those boys. So, you know, the th- those three young boys who lost their, their lives at the tender mm-hmm. age of eight years old. And then the three teenage boys who lost their lives at the age of 17 and 18 mm-hmm. because they had no one to protect them. And because yep. they were different. Because they were yep. outsiders. And because of this, the whole idea of the satanic panic. And we're bringing it yep. back to this whole concept of people believing in things that... And making a bigger deal out of something. And instead of really understanding the truth behind it, right? And because it's this idea of... Well, because we can't control it, we need to eliminate it. And if we see it as a threat. So metal music mm-hmm. is counterculture it is abrasive it's aggressive and because people don't understand it they relate it to ideas of satanism and stuff like that Mm -hmm. because of the sensationalism that is placed behind it and then it leads to problematic issues and because we also as we talked in our uh, the bigger podcast we talked about you know certain trials where yeah certain murders did happen and they some of these people did have you know were mentally unstable and believed in Mm -hmm. some certain like you know satanist ideas and stuff like that but just Mm -hmm. because they listened Mm -hmm. to metal music it made them bad people and then made metal music bad all in general and then it just and as I was saying earlier at least a tragedy it leads to innocent lives being destroyed because people can't Mm -hmm. see beyond what is being presented to them they take it at face value they fear what they don't understand they fear the unknown and this leads to stereotyping and to convicting potentially innocent people yeah this case and other cases and different trials and things it's there's elements of classism yeah panic social issues the community pressure for conviction it it brings a lot of aspects up not really great things either. This case does not show the goodness of humanity whatsoever. This is not justice. This is not showing what we can do as as human beings at all. It's It just is all based on fear. And that's pretty much it. It's based on fear. It's based on fear, rhetoric of fear that the media takes and exploits and makes it bigger yep. than it really needs to be. And you know, you could hear people, I could just, and as I was doing my research, I could hear people saying like, well, if those three boys, you know, didn't listen to metal music and they cut their hair and they look like every other Joe Blow down the street, they would have been fine. And I'm just like, yep. Mm, so conformity. So you're telling me yep. that we need to conform to protect ourselves in society from being mm-hmm. accused of horrific crimes. So no yep. individuality, follow, you know, become a sheep, follow the rest of the pack, and then you will be fine. Mm, yep. That's not a life I want to live. I'm sorry. No, no. And that's not what we should be teaching kids or youths of the 80s, 90s, even today. 
You know, it's, it's not that. The aspects of this case actually reminded me of the Avery Dassey case from Making a Murderer. I don't know if you watched that on Netflix. No. Fascinating, infuriating trial. Whereas like the Brandon Dassey is this like young kid that reminded me so much of Jesse, Miss Kelly, where low IQ, I think he was on the spectrum, did the same thing, really interrogated him for hours and hours and hours. And there is some video evidence of it, but his mom, like, I think they're, you're minors. Like you, you're supposed to have an yeah. adult present, right? I think you're not a minor if you are 18 or 19 or something along those lines. But like, if you're 16, 17 years old, you need to have a parent present, no parent present, and just hours and hours of interrogation where, and false confessions are a thing and coercion is a thing. And after so, so many hours, these, these boys, they became tired and they just want to leave. And when you watch the documentary, you see like Jesse McKelly is just like, I just wanted to go home. So I told them anything to get like they don't really understand the the severity and the consequences of what they're saying to these people Mm -hmm. but there's like I just wanted to go home to my dad like I just wanted to go home and they just wanted this very uncomfortable situation they were forced to be in to be over so they'll say anything that's all that's just what they based his whole case on this coerced false confession so it just reminds me of that case where people were outraged about this young guy like Jesse Miss Kelly like just being coerced into this situation. It was like, again, no character witnesses. These kids are decent kids and then forever grow up to always be decent human beings and never to show you. I mean, there's so much more to this case. All these little things like maybe Damien Eccles' alibi didn't really check out. There's a lot to this case. We can't cover everything, but I think we generally covered what we wanted to, but it's, it's frustrating. So an update is that all three men were released to never have committed another crime. Damien delved deep into magic and writing and he's moved on. He got married in in jail and he's moving on with his life. Jason Baldwin actually took a very public political stance against the death penalty because, you know, that that is problematic and controversial in itself for wrongfully convicted people because his good friend could have and almost was killed for a crime he allegedly did not commit. I say allegedly because, I mean, there's so much to this case. I think they're innocent, but let's say allegedly. So he almost died because of a crime he did not commit. Jesse, Miss Kelly remains, he's maintaining a very low profile because he just always just wanted to be back with his family where he always wanted to be and that's what he does. But it's fascinating to see what happened before, during, and after all of this and like just trying to live the best life that they can after 20 years in prison. Yeah, so this is just an element, like this case in itself (laughs) is just an element of how stereotyping and how people who live on a rhetoric of fear can yeah. destroy innocent lives and can cause craze of, of sensationalism that's just yeah. so inappropriate and also that makes it harder for people in the, you know today to you know be a fan of as Kelly and I have expressed in a previous podcast episode we've talked to other people as well too you know being fans of metal and horror fans right people mm-hmm. automatically think that we are have some form of social deviance in our lives or some sort of or some sort of damage to be like well oh, yeah. <laughs> you have to be you have to be messed up to like that stuff yeah. and it's like actually no we are actually fully well-rounded individuals who lead very well good lives and are good <laughs> Speak people for yourself <laughs> <laughs> 
But it's just like the the stereotyping that leaves us with no protection because we don't know what could all of a sudden come up against us because, you know, as we've talked many times before, you know, as a woman and being a witch, you're automatically in league with (laughs) Satan and you're automatically, you're automatically in a problem to society. And, and, you know, this was our mini episode talking our first time about true crime. Maybe we may Mm -hmm. approach this again if we ever run across this. We are talking about, you know, satanic cults next month. So who knows (laughs) (laughs) what happens, but who knows where research is going to lead us but thank you Jess for looking into this with me and talking about this interesting ride and infuriating ride and I'm just kind of glad that it is now 2020 and I'm not a te- not a teenager anymore in the 90s because I was one of those weirdo yep. teenagers that bought the satanic bible and my mom was very upset she was very upset with me she's like how can you read that why are you reading that and I was like I don't know I'm, as, I'm interested yeah. I just want to read about it reading about something being interested in something like Damien Eccles was interested yeah like he's gone on to actually like do magic stuff like really deep into it but like you're a teenager you've got interest maybe passing interest I was passively interested in Wicca myself as a as a teenager and just you know you're trying to find yourself and and what you want to do and who you want to be and that leads you very open to being vastly and severely misunderstood on that point we will end this mini-sode and we'll see you folks later <laughs> <laughs>